He ought to be the difference maker in how we view life. And so with that in mind, let's talk about Paul for a minute. There's some things that stand out in this text. Number one, Paul knew what it was like to be lost before God. You remember in this context, Paul talks about his prior life as a Jew. And Paul identifies his sinful activities. He said in the past that he had not only been destructive, but deadly. Paul said, I've been a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. But he said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. If you go back and look at the book of Acts in Acts chapter 7, you remember Stephen was stoned by the Jews, wasn't he? And Luke said that they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. In chapter 8, verse 1, Luke would say, with regard to the stoning of Stephen, Saul was consenting to his death. In verse 3, the Bible says that Saul made havoc of the church. He was a tyrant and a terrorist to God's people. In chapter 9, he was breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He was on the road to Damascus to bind those who were followers of the way when the Lord Jesus encountered him. When you look at the life of Paul, he was doing everything in his power to destroy the cause of Christ. In Acts chapter 26, when he recalls his life as a Jew, he said, I thought within myself to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things also I did in Jerusalem. He said, many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. When they were put to death, he said, I consented or I gave my voice against them. Punished them often in every synagogue. He said, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Let me tell you what, if Saul was on your back, you would have known it. Saul did everything within his power to undermine the advancement of the cause of Christ, didn't he? He was destructive, and he was deadly in his behavior. Paul makes that abundantly clear in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But he also provides us with what I would call a self-analysis. Now, listen again to what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry... Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, or injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Now, take note of this in verse 15. Paul said, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 
Sometimes when we analyze ourselves, we're not as honest and maybe as transparent as we ought to be. If you were narrating your life, and just think about looking back over your past, hitting the highs and the lows, how transparent would you be? Would you be honest and forthright about your past? When we talk about Paul's self-analysis, he is crystal clear about his life as a sinner, isn't he? Matter of fact, that word first there means, really cares whether the idea of rank. And Paul's saying, if you want to know who the chief, the one who would rank above all sinful people, he said, look, I'm the guy. So with regard to how we view ourselves in life, again, sometimes we gloss over the past. Paul didn't gloss over his past didn't misrepresent his past. No, he said, look, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was injurious to the cause of Christ. He said, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He was doing everything within his power to destroy those who were followers of the way. So as you look at your life, I think about David. David, the great king of Israel. Remember, the Bible tells us David was a man after God's own heart. David was a good man and did a lot of good things, but David didn't necessarily always live up to the standard imposed upon him by God, did he? And you remember after his relationship with Bathsheba, and then add to that having Uriah the Hittite killed on the front line of battle, David didn't gloss over what he had done in the past. matter of fact, when Nathan the prophet stood before him, And Nathan said, look, David, you're the man. David said, I've sinned. In Psalm 51, David would say, against you and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness in your sight. David was transparent about his past. The only way we can get help in this life is to be transparent about where we are, about what we've done. Sometimes we're not willing to be honest and candid about our past. There are times in life when we want to make things look better than they are. We want to sugarcoat things. Paul didn't do that, did he? And you think about Paul and his clarity about sin. We live in a day and time when we have sanitized sin, haven't we? When we've whitewashed it. I was reading, matter of fact, this week, I think it was Monday, when I went to, to Google, The little tagline for the day, celebrating transgender, either day or week, how the mighty have fallen. I mean, that's where we are as a society. We've taken behavior that at one time was deemed immoral and abominable, and we have now brought it into the realm of respectability, haven't we? And you think about people today that accept as the norm what they never would have embraced in days gone by. Never. So we've sanitized the whole concept of sin. 
I mean, today we deal in euphemisms, don't we? We conceal what God would say in a very blatant, concise way is sin. And by the way, Paul in Romans chapter 3 said, There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In order to get help for our sin problem, we've got to be honest with ourselves, don't we? We've got to understand that we need help. The beauty of the gospel is the new birth affords us a new beginning along with new blessings. Those who are in Christ are rich. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he was writing to remind people of their riches in Christ. In Ephesians 1.7 he said, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, listen to Him, according to the riches of His grace. In chapter 2 he would talk about the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. Salvation is in Christ. Riches are in Christ. So he was crystal clear about his past. With regard to your past, are you clear? Are you concise about where you've been, what you've done? But then Paul also understood something about the cost of sin. I think this is really where we've missed it in the world today. We have minimized this whole concept of sin to the point that we have forgotten about the cost of sin. Why do you think the Apostle Paul was so fervent in his work for the cause of Christ? I think the reason is because he understood that people were in jeopardy of losing their soul in a devil's hell. Now Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You remember when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He said, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or evil. Now listen to him, verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, We persuade men. Paul believed without a shadow of a doubt that the wages of sin is a devil's hell. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, Paul talked about those who are outside a covenant relationship with God. He said they are without hope and without God in this world. Now let me tell you what, if you're without hope and without God in this world, when you get in the next world, If you don't have Christ Jesus, you are without hope and without God. You don't have a prayer. Now you think about standing out on the plains of eternity, and you're standing face to face with the Son of God, and you are not a Christian. What chance do you have? You're without hope. And let me tell you what, you will be without God. For all of eternity. You know in Revelation chapter 20 when John talks about the judgment. You remember he said, Whoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, listen to him, was cast into the lake of fire. John talks about the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. 
Brimstone associated with sulfur. A sickening, suffocating odor. Can you imagine being in a place where Jesus said, the, worms, the worm dies not. The fire is not quenched. In Revelation chapter 20, John there writes about those who one day will be cast into that lake. And he said they will be tormented, they will be tormented day and night, listen to him, forever and ever. Let that sink in. Paul knew something about the cost of sin. Now, the second thought expressed by Paul, he knew what it was like to be lost before God. But he also knew what it was like to be loved by God. Listen to him again. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Let me just mention for a moment or two something about the surety of God's love. There are two thoughts. Number one, God's love is authentic, isn't it? And by that I mean it is genuine. You know, sometimes people will say, I love you, and it's nothing more than a cliche. I mean, they'll, they'll use words like, I love you, I love you, and I appreciate you, but they really don't mean it. But when you think about the love of God, we're talking about authentic love, genuine love. God loves us. We cannot begin to comprehend the depth of God's love for us. You know, the Bible talks about, for example, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. That's the very nature of the God we serve. The catalyst behind the redemptive plan was His love, wasn't it? I mean, do you think God would have reached out to those of us in the human family had it not been for love? Again, John said, God is love. Here in His love, not that we love God, listen to Him, but that He loved us. 1 John 4, 19, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. So I think about authentic love, but then what about abiding love? Here is the beauty of the nature of God. God is not fickle like people are. No, when God says, I love you, He means it, doesn't He? Not only does God genuinely, authentically love us, it's not artificial, but rather God genuinely loves us. But God will always love us. Listen to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Will there ever be a time in your life when God doesn't love you? Never will be. God will always love you. Now, there have been people, for example, in marriage, and they have entered into a marital relationship, and the husband has said to the wife, I love you. The wife has said to the husband, I love you. But then over time, what happens? 
You ever heard of a husband or wife walking in the door one day and saying, you know what, I just don't love you anymore. Happens every day. God will never, God will never turn His back on us with regard to divine love. Never. Now, He may not necessarily, He may not like what we're doing. He might not approve of our lifestyle, but He loves us. Listen to Paul, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. The Lord Jesus died for ungodly people. He loved us in spite of our sin. Did He not love Saul of Tarsus? Yes, He did. So you think about Paul. Paul was a transformed man, wasn't he? So, I think about the surety of God's love, but then the scope of His love. The expanse of God's love. Listen to Jesus. For God so loved the world. Now wait a minute. You're telling me that with regard to the expanse of God's love, He loves the world? That's right. There is not a single person that God doesn't love. Loves us in spite of our sin. In spite of our defiance. In spite of our rebellious ways. He still loves us, doesn't He? Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God loves the world. And let me tell you what. God loves the world, and He demonstrated that at Calvary. When you go back to Calvary nearly 2,000 years ago, See, Jesus lifted up between two sinners, two thieves, two malefactors. Jesus was saying to the human family, I love you. God was saying to the human family that my love for you is such that I have given you my son so that you might enjoy a relationship with me. Now I think about the expanse of his love, but the expense of his love. The death of Jesus on Calvary cost God His only begotten Son. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that God spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. Listen again, Jesus, John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the only one of His kind. Tell me God doesn't love us. Tell me it didn't cost God something to redeem us. You are expensive. Your soul is worth more than this world has to offer in any shape, form, or fashion. John said, 1 John chapter 4, John said, Here it is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus came to earth to die for us, to redeem us. And here's the Apostle Paul saying, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am chief. Listen to Jesus, Luke chapter 19. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is in the saving business, isn't He? So you look at the life of Paul. Paul's life, quite frankly, was a train wreck. I know he lived in all good conscience before God, thought what he was doing was right, but he was dead wrong. And yet God redeemed him by his blood. So Paul knew something about the love of God, didn't he? Knew something about what it was like to be lost before God. But he also knew something about being liberated by God. Now, go back to the text again. Listen to what Paul said. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Let me just pause there for a minute. Paul was a converted man, wasn't he? On the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to him. Jesus sent a man by the name of Ananias to go and to give some very specific instructions to Saul of Tarsus. Saul has been fasting and praying for three days. When Ananias arrives, Ananias said to him in the long ago, And now, what are you waiting on? Why tarry? Arise and be baptized, listen to him, and wash away your sins. Why did Ananias tell Paul or Saul to be baptized? Because salvation is in Christ. Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Salvation is in Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe He's the Son of God. Saul, after the Lord appeared to him, asked the question, Who are you, Lord? The Lord Jesus. We have to believe that Jesus is the divine Son of God. And then repent of sin. Confess the name of Christ. And then we're immersed in water. We're immersed so that we might contact the blood of Jesus. No one will be saved without the blood of Christ. The Hebrew writer said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. If we're going to be saved, it will only be by Christ and by His blood. And then we're added to a divine body. It's called the church, isn't it? And the saved are in the church. You mean to tell me Paul was in the church? That's right. Listen to Paul, Ephesians 5, verse 23. Jesus is the Savior of the body. All right? If the saved are in the body, and those who are in the body have been baptized, and they've contacted the blood of Christ, then they've been redeemed and reconciled. That's exactly right. Reconciliation takes place in the one body, Ephesians 2.16. So, Paul was added to the body, but now not only was he converted to Christ, but he was consecrated to Christ. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 9, following Paul's baptism into Christ, he stayed in Damascus 
among the disciples. And the text says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Now wait a minute. You mean to tell me that Paul is barely dry from being baptized into Christ, and now he's out in the synagogues preaching the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the very Son of God. That's right. Since you've been converted to Christ, as a member of the body of Christ, have you told anybody about Jesus? Think about that. Immediately. I mean, Paul has just been baptized into Christ, and immediately he's preaching the Christ. But he's the Son of God. Listen, if we're not telling other people about Jesus, then our faith must not mean much to us, right? And wouldn't that stand to reason? You look at the life of Paul. Do you think Paul was consecrated to the Lord? Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul lived a Christ-centered life day in, day out. Listen to him, Philippians chapter 1. Paul is in a Roman prison cell, and he said, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ. Jesus was everything to Paul. See, you're everything. If we talk about authentic faith, if we're really what we ought to be, and if we're really who we ought to be, we're going to share the Lord with other people, aren't we? I mean, you look at the life of the Apostle Paul. I mentioned Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about being chained to a Roman prisoner. And they're rotating these guards in every six hours, maybe every four hours. So you've got a different guard on watch every four to six hours. What do you think it would have been like to have been chained to Paul for four to six hours? What do you think he'd have been talking about? Who do you think he would have been talking about? He was consecrated. So I think about Paul was pardoned by God, but he praised God. Listen to him. Pick up with me in verse 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I believe the Apostle Paul praised God for what he had done in him and through him. And really what Paul is saying is, look, I am a poster child for someone who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. 
The Lord has made a difference in me. The Lord has saved me by His grace, mercy, and love. And if God could save me, He can save you. I don't, matter, I don't care how deep you are in a life of sin. You believe that? There are folks in our world today, they have this idea that God doesn't love them, God doesn't care about them, they've gone too far, they've stayed too long, they're too deep in sin. That's the devil's lie. And Paul is saying, look, if God could save me, He can save you. I don't care who you are. Listen to Paul, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Where sin abounded, grace did abound much more. God has the ability and the willingness to save, doesn't He? So you think about your life. Can you praise God because what, of what He has done in you and through you? And by that I mean you've been a blessing to other people. You've been a blessing to other people. Because of your riches in Christ, have you shared those riches? Because of your relationship to Christ, have you shared Him with other people? Because of how blessed you have been, have you been a blessing to other people? One verse. Listen to Paul, Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear you one another, bear, your, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I mean, we can be a burden bearer, can't we? I mean, there are a lot of ways we can bless the lives of other people. God has blessed us to be a blessing, hasn't He? Paul was a blessing in the lives of many people. We've been blessed by the writings of Paul, haven't we? You think about Paul writing some 13 books in the New Testament, inspired of God. We look at his life and we think about his endeavors. We're inspired by his life, by his devotion, by his consecration to Christ. So I want to ask you a question today. Has Jesus made a difference in your life? Second question. Is it evident? You know, it's one thing to say, Jesus has made a difference in my life. The question is not, has He made a difference? The question is, is it reflected in how I live every day? We sing a song sometimes, Oh, to be like Thee. Our goal is to be like Christ, isn't it? To walk in the footsteps of Christ. To lead other people to Christ. Let me tell you what. If you're a Christian, something ought to be different in your life. And the one who has made that difference is Jesus. He is the difference maker. And He can make a difference in your life right now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, right now. Say, how so? Well, do what Saul of Tarsus did. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Be baptized into Christ. Let God add you to His body. And then be faithful until death. Be a blessing in the lives of other people. If you're here today, and let's just say you are a Christian, and you've been a Christian for a long time, but He really had not made a difference in your life. Well, what, what would you need to do? Well, you need to rethink where you are. And then there's a word we use sometimes called repentance. It means a change of life, change of heart, followed by a changed life. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll perish. 
Now listen to what John said, 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You mean to tell me that as a child of God, that I can be restored, that I can enjoy fellowship with God, that He will remember my past no more? That's right. So today I leave you with this thought. Jesus made a difference in Paul's life. Question, has He made a difference in your life as we stand and sing? on her behalf to be stronger to do better and Paul likewise 
desires our prayers that he be a stronger, more diligent Christian. And we appreciate their attitude and their willingness. They're both very, very sincere people. And as you well know, they do many good things for a lot of people. Yet they have tender conscience, both do, and desire to do better and to do more. And with that in mind, let's go to our Father in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy love for us. Demonstrated in giving Thy only begotten Son on our behalf. For his love for us and giving his life on the cross for his death, burial, resurrection, ascension back to thee and his interceding on our behalf even at this moment. And Father, we approach thee through him on behalf of Paul and also Emily at this time thanking thee for thy mercy and thy forgiveness. And that they both can take comfort in thy forgiveness. And that their joy of salvation be restored to them. Knowing that thou hast forgiven them. Knowing also, Father, that thou art willing to strengthen and help us all. We pray that we may encourage them and them us likewise. For the good that they've been doing for a long time, we thank thee. And we thank thee for their desire to do even more. And we pray that that will be each of our desire. We thank thee for them. We thank thee for everyone here present today. And we pray that we will all resolve to do more every day and be more like thee, that we will be with thee eternally when this life is over. And it's in Christ's name we pray and thank thee. Amen. If you would please turn in your hymnals to song number 364. 364 will be the song before the Lord's Supper. <laughs> 